Whether you're fly fishing in a stream, getting those ankles wet, or deep in the ocean casting nets, fish nerds. Fish nerds. Fish nerds. It's a podcast. Hello and welcome to the Fish Nerds, the show about fish, fishing, and eating fish. Show that's always interesting, usually funny, and mostly true. I'm Clay Groves, Chief Executive Fish Nerd, Licensed Fishing Guide, your best friend. Great show today for you. You're going to love this. Doc Martin, our Chief Science Correspondent, is back again twice in a row. That's really remarkable. (laughs) But here's the cool thing. So for years, there's been stories going around about how birds move fish from lake to lake. And the theory in the fishing community has always been the eggs stick to like a duck's feet, and then they just drop into other ponds and lakes. Now, there's been experiments done on this in the past. We've reported about it here at the Fish Nerds Podcast and found that not to be a real thing. Uh, They did experiments using actual real duck feet to see if the eggs of these fishes stick to the duck's feet, and they don't. So that was like shown to be probably not true. It's possible, but probably untrue. So then it came up recently that is it possible if if animals eat fish eggs, can they poop out those eggs and transfer them to one from one body to another? So somebody actually did this experiment. It was posted on the Fish Nerds podcast group. That's our very active group on Facebook. If you're not there, you're really missing out on about half of what we do here at Fish Nerds. So that was reported there. Doc Martin was put on task of finding out what is the real story on this. And what she did is remarkable. She emailed the authors of the story, the people who did the actual study and was able to get them on the podcast. And so she got Adam Lovis Kiss uh, to come on the show who authored this study and talk about can fish move around as eggs in the body of a duck and be transferred from one body of the water? Can they migrate from lake to lake as eggs? And we have some answers for you. It's remarkable. And this is going to be for the next 20 or 30 minutes, very nerdy, two scientists talking fish. Uh, when that's done, we're going to jump into fish in the news. Dave Kellum is back uh, with the news, and we're going to talk about a couple of really fun stories there. And that's the whole show. So let's jump right in. Here is Doc Martin and Adam Lovis Kiss. Hey, everyone. It's Doc Martin. I am here with a special guest nerd today who's done some pretty exciting research. And I'm just going to let him introduce himself. Welcome to the show. Hi, everyone. Uh, I'm Adam Lovashkish from Hungary. And um, I am basically an aquatic ecologist, but uh, focus mainly on, um, how can I say, plants. So basically, I'm a botanist. (laughs) We can say that. And would you say an, an aquatic botanist? Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, so if, if, if you go to the details, uh, because um, I started working with orchids, so it's completely irrelevant. I mean, uh, it's not an aquatic uh, plant at all. And uh, my main focus was shifted to the birds, uh, aquatic birds. And uh, yeah, so I'm a big mix. We can say that. <laughs> that that's totally fine. Uh, that's the best kind of guests that we have on the show. A little bit of everything. We <laughs> like that. Um, so we're going to tailor this particular talk into one paper that you've recently published um, in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Science. I'm just going to read the title here. So it is Experimental Evidence of dispersal of invasive cyprinid eggs inside migratory waterfowl. Um, So there's a couple of jargony terms there. So what did you do essentially? What's the short version? So it's a short paper. (laughs) So yeah. um, Yeah. So basically we did an experiment with uh, captive mallards and, um, we used eight individuals um, separately caged and uh, we force fed them with fish eggs. 
and uh, we waited hours to get their fecal samples, feces, um, to see if any kind of eggs actually pass through the digestive system of the ducks alive. And so, so this is the short version. Yeah, yeah. So why did you do this? Like what uh, led you guys to ask this question? You kind of touch on it in the paper, but um, I was wondering, you know, why is this something that scientists or maybe the general public would be interested to know? Mm. Um, it was an interesting uh, um, reaction from the general public because everyone who is not from the scientific era, like, uh, how can I say, normal people, <laughs> uh, was, uh, they were saying that actually this is like a common knowledge. Like everyone knows that waterfall dispersing the fishes everywhere. So I was like, but uh, there's no scientific proof for that. This was actually, we can say that the second one, because there was one paper before uh, in 2019, but it was included, uh, I mean, they, uh, they used uh, annual killifishes, which are very known for the uh, aquarist people, like, because they're basically their ship, they're shipping their eggs in envelopes with soil with dirt in it everywhere in the world. So uh, what I wanted to uh, what I want to say that they have very very resistant eggs, and um, I mean for us it was kind of obvious they will actually survive the digestive tracts of the birds. So we wanted to use tallow fish species which can actually represent more common fishes, like uh, those fish species which actually have like a jelly type of fish egg, not so hardy, not so resistant like uh, Zanua fishes have. And uh, yeah, so, I mean, the backstory of this is uh, I was... Uh, already studying in 2014 the water bird mediated plant dispersal and um, in 2013 or 14 I cannot remember exactly I was doing a field study in Spain and uh, we were collecting fecal samples and pellet samples samples from Ratchank, Tringatotanus and uh, in one of the pellet I found three fish eggs and they were they were developing, so it was a very very interesting. And we, we I mean, so they, so the, the fish first. eggs that you found in that pellet, they were they were actively developing, so they were still alive and viable. Yes, okay. yes, yes. Cool. And uh, we was like, oh my god, this can be the first field evidence for this, and it would be awesome if we can hatch them. But unfortunately, we couldn't recognize the species. And we use fresh water for, I mean, I feel dumb after this because uh, we were collecting from a coastal area, from a brackish water. So, but I was so excited. I was, you know, placed them immediately in fresh water and uh, I just saw them basically. I mean, they died. And uh, I wasn't so happy. But after this, with Andy Green, with my supervisor, uh, we were thinking, okay, this is awesome. Unfortunately, we cannot publish this because they died. So, but we need to do an experiment. So since that, we were thinking about it, like how can we do an experiment? We, we designed a lot of experiments in the case of plants. And uh, basically, we used that settings. and. Uh, we redesigned a little bit and we used that complete design to do this experiment with the fish eggs. And um, it's, I mean, after we published the paper, it's sort of, I mean, it went viral. We can say that because, I mean, the Twitter blowed up and I was like, wow, I, I never thought about that, that this could be like, I mean, very huge retweet numbers. And uh, one thing that we noticed that, I mean, this was a mystery. I mean, 
everyone said common knowledge. Why did you study that? But still, it was a mystery because everyone thought that fish eggs actually can be dispersed by water birds, but they are actually attached to their feet or their beaks. And I just, we're going to interrupt you briefly here because I'm an aquatic um, ecologist and I study fishes and I have heard literally that exact same thing. And I get people, non-scientists that say all the time, oh, for sure, birds disperse them. I think they stick to their legs. I've heard that a lot over my career. So yes, absolutely. That's kind of one of those folk tales that you hear all the time. Yep. Yeah. And uh, (laughs) it's interesting because there is only one evidence for this only one and uh, it was from the 1990 i mean from 1991 something like that and it's in uh, it's published in a local german journal and uh, real is the scientist who did that and he mentioned that he found pike eggs on uh, on a mallard's feet from four or five, something like that. Mm-hmm. But this time, it was a temporary pond which was drying up. And uh, he collected the fish eggs from the mallards and he managed to hatch them. But still, I think it's, it's a little bit problematic because you don't know if they were just freshly attached. So they just came, up, uh, came out from the water and he just saw that immediately so you cannot be sure that this can be actually called epizookory, uh, which is uh, the name of the outside transportation. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I, I think this should be again tested experimentally, like how long actually the fish eggs can, uh, uh, can be alive like attached to the mallard's feet. So I don't know if how uh, hardy they are mm-hmm. in the case of the dryness or, for example, like um, the mucus, how sticky they are. They are actually can to the, the attachment and staying there. So it's an interesting, interesting question and uh, it would be lovely if we can study that. But in, I mean, I'm talking a lot about everything. Sorry. No, so. no, no. That's that's great. That's perfect. We're getting a nice kind of history of the question here. That's that's great. I was gonna ask you. Um, we talked about um, you compared your research to research on uh, killifish eggs, and so the killifish they have kind of hard eggs that are really made for uh, this diapause state where they're just they're not going to do anything. They're going to hang out and can. Um, deal with desiccation, drying out, that kind of stuff. Um, but you didn't study killifish. Um, you studied two um, carp species that are a little bit maybe infamous here in the U.S. as a highly invasive species. And so which one were they? The common carp and then the Prussian carp. Is that right? Yeah. 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 And so why did you choose those two specific species of fish? <laughs> in the first place, in Hungary, the common carp is native. So, a little bit different than carp, <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. So, in the first place, we wanted to compare like a native and alien species and to see that, that the aliens have a more um, probability to get dispersed because they are alien. So, one of the hypotheses is that they are alien because they can actually survive uh, in a higher rate and they can disperse more. But uh, we realized that uh, maybe this wasn't a good choice. And because we realized obviously worldwide is the two species what we used, they were highly invasive. So we, we stick with that. And uh, we, uh, we uh, obviously we stayed with that because it can be a very good story because they are aliens and invasives in the US, for example, and not just but in Australia too. And they're causing a big, big problems, but inside Europe too, because the common carp in Spain is invasive and causing big, big troubles. Uh, so, um, yeah, that's 
we stayed with this and um, in the future studies we try to focus on more fish species on uh, what kind of traits actually influence the passage rates or the passage uh, i mean the, uh, or the viability for example so, yeah, you, I saw you mentioned that as saying, hey, we know that this is possible now. Um, so your next kind of goal or maybe the next goal of whoever takes over this kind of project is going to be, okay, so some fish eggs are more or less likely to be able to survive the digestive system of different birds. Um, if you wanted to guess what kinds of fish um, might be more likely candidates to have this as a dispersal mechanism. Um, what are some kinds of species that you might predict would use birds' uh, digestive systems to disperse their eggs? Kind of put you on okay. the spot there. <laughs> okay, yeah. So I, I think it's uh, similar in fish egg traits to these mm -hmm. species. They will obviously will be dispersed by the birds. Mm -hmm. And um, um, for example, I think Asian carp can do that too. Mm -hmm. These mass spawners, obviously, they can do that because there will be high numbers, I mean, in the fish eggs, mm -hmm. and during the migration of mallards, and, and not just mallards, overall water birds. And um, I think it's if is the right, but the timing is right during the migration, spawning happening, high number of fish eggs, they will definitely go there, I mean the birds, and they will feast on it, like mm -hmm. gorging themselves. And, uh, and after that, it's just, um, I mean, it's just the matter of numbers, so how much mm -hmm. they actually feed them, because we used only overall 500 for each species which right, is that's a very a low, low number yeah very low number and uh because you know uh, we didn't want it to stress the birds mm -hmm. so we gave them once just once so but they have the possibility to feed them i mean to feed on them uh they will like prove eating a lot of lot of them not just 500 i think thousands mm -hmm. so in this case and thousands of birds are there during the spawning all it's, it takes is uh, one <laughs> yeah 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 just one and uh, in our case there was uh, we we found passing eggs in the case of six birds from eight mm -hmm. so it's just it will happen in long and, oh sorry sorry um, yeah. I, I noticed of the eight birds, so six of the eight that you fed eggs to did pass at least one egg. Um, some of those were viable. We can talk about that in a minute. Uh, one of the questions that I had was um, of these eggs that are surviving and going on to hatch. So you talked about, you know, only five, only feeding them 500, first of all. Um, what would you think if you could do this study again would make this a little bit more realistic? This, this study definitely reads as a, Hey, is this just possible, right? Is this a thing that actually can happen? And you show that, yes, it can. So now we want to get into more of the details on exactly how viable these things are, how it really mechanistically works. So if you could pick and choose some variables to tweak, what would you do differently? So we used ad libitum food. So mm -hmm. they can eat every time when they want. They can drink anytime. And uh, what I would love to do differently, to be more realistic, um, I would take away the food from the dogs. This would be the first one. And because of this, I would grow the number that we fed to the birds. So I would go for 2,000, for example. And uh, uh, because, uh, I mean, during the migration, we know that these birds, when they land, they will actually feed a lot before they fly away. 
So this is why this is a different approach what we use. This is an approach uh, when they arrive to a place and they will rest there for one or two days or three days. This is an approach because they will feed regularly. And um, yeah, so if they are in an extreme migration, they just arrive one place, they will feed a lot and move to another place. So if we want to imitate that, I would rather take away their food food and and force feed them with a higher number of fish eggs. So I think still there will be passing eggs in that mm -hmm. case too. And maybe there will be like higher number of passage rate. So that's yeah, another thing. The passage rate, uh, was it the passage rate or survival of... 0.2% survived gut passage, right? So that's a very, yep. very low number. But like we've kind of said previously, you know, all, all it takes is one, right? So yes. you might expect that if you remove the other stuff from the diet and they're eating more exclusively fish eggs, that percent survival might change. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. Um, one um, other, oh, go ahead. Yeah, sorry. It's, it's uh, I mean, it depends again. Uh, on the diet, for example, because uh, we know that mollards have seasonal diet, like from February until September, they have more uh, an invertebrate-based di diet. And from September until February, they have plant-based diet. So mm -hmm. and we, we did this uh, experiment in May, so they would have... Uh, I mean, the spawning happening in in April, May, June. Um, but we use captive bred mallards, so they will use plant-based diet. So, but in the case of the invertebrate diet, we think that this is another again another another factor. Mm -hmm. And because of this, they their digestive efficiency will be lower and this means a higher uh, probability of survival in the case of fish eggs for example so this is another one another factor which uh, i think we should or not we but anybody else should study for example yeah and i've got one more factor to consider so a, a significant <laughs> amount of the effort for this paper was sifting through feces so science is fun, right? We love yeah. that. And so you yeah. actually collected duck poop like every one, two, three, like hours after these feeding events. And you found that basically they were given the eggs and within about an hour, all of the eggs went through the digestive system. So um, I have a couple questions. My first one is how often do ducks poop? Do we know? Mm -hmm. do you, how, how often do they poop? And then it is one hour is like, is that the kind of the baseline or would you consider maybe five minutes or 30 minutes? Do you think that that would make a difference? Hmm. So, uh, but we found in, uh, I mean, between four and uh, six hours too, mm -hmm. like the carpet, which is a uh, significant But So, in every hour, there were a high amount of feces mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> what we needed to sift through. And uh, I think, I mean, if they are not stressed, we can say that in every hour they will poop once at least. Okay. And uh, if it's five or 30 minutes, obviously, yeah, I mean, it's important because, uh, because you know, it, I mean, it matters. Like during that short time, they will actually take a shorter route. So they're flying, and they just did like uh, 100, 200 meters. But it can be again significant at 100, 200 meters because they can help the, for example, common carp to escape from fisheries. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, but uh, 
uh, we found it between four and six hours and uh, it can pay 400 kilometers. So it's, uh, it's yeah, it's, uh, it's a significant uh, distance. So yeah, but again, uh, this regular poop <laughs> was uh, because they were feeding continuously when they went, uh, when they wanted to. So if we restrict that, uh, from because uh, in the plant-based uh, experiment, what we did before, uh, we did that. So we didn't give them a libitum food. So we saw that, for example, in um, some hours, we didn't find any fecal samples at all in mm. six, four, three hours. So um, it would change that too. So maybe because of that, we, maybe we will have uh, like longer retention time. So, but this is another question, what, which needs to be answered. Right. Yeah, because that retention time is probably significantly impacting the viability of those eggs for sure. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yep. Yes. All right. Um, so I guess. Now that you you've done this experiment, it has gone viral. You've got your, you know, days of fame here. Um, do you have any? Are, are you starting? Can you talk about any starting experiments that are following this up? Is that kind of the trajectory that you're imagining going, or are you working on something else? And this was just a kind of a blip on your botanist radar. Yeah, uh, I mean, we are working continuously with. Um, Monarchs, because I'm working in the Wetland Ecology Research Group um, mm. in Debrecen, Hungary, and uh, we are a very diverse group. So we try to uh, study a lot of aspects of a wetland, and uh, I'm working with the dispersal aspect, and uh, my boss working on invasive species, and. Um, one of my colleagues working on the, on the, on the local knowledge of animals, aliens, invasives, native species in, in the case of anglers, for example. So we try to do and work on a, on a wide aspect of wetland. So we are trying to do more work in this case of the fishes. Um, in fish dispersal. Uh, what we're planning to do in this year to work with at least 10 species and to work on the fish egg traits with different okay. traits and what will actually influence the passage rate mm. and um, the survival. So this is the bigger step for this. And... Um, That'd be really exciting. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, we will try to do, in the case of plants, I don't know if uh, the listeners are actually interested in this, but um, I'm doing a lot of field studies. So going out, monitoring uh, birds, I mean, not just mallards, shorebirds, mm -hmm. you know, local scale, and not just local scale, but I have samples, for example, from Buick swans from Siberia, so oh, wow. I'm working on that too. Uh, yeah, I mean, they have very, very big feces, like 30 grams, so I need to see if that, you know, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, we tend to green uh, with my colleagues. We try to do more work on fish disposal, but again, on uh, sea disposal. And um, we try to do more sea disposal network studies. Okay. Uh, which will be a big, a next big thing um, in our case. Awesome. That's really exciting. Um, I will definitely keep my eyes out for the next publication on your fish dispersal stuff because this was pretty cool to come across my desk. Um, do you have anything you. else um, about this research or anything else that you'd like to tell our listeners? Yeah, one thing that uh, some tweets... And some people were actually saying that, okay, in this case, we need to kill all the ducks because they are spreading invasive species. But that's not the case. We, know, we sh would not should do that at all. Like, because um, 
one thing I need to say that it's very important that the humans were actually introducing these species to North America. And in the case of water birds, they are doing their awesome ecosystem service. Like usually they are dispersing things mm -hmm. to Abaddon wetlands, to isolated wetlands. And they are trying to help, uh, you know, to populate those um, wetlands. Mm -hmm. And uh, if a native species arrives to a local wetland, obviously they, act, they can't, you know, separate those invasive species propagules or eggs they are just trying to feed what they found and they would disperse to elsewhere so don't kill the ducks just you know be careful when you are moving your fishes to, i mean fish species to anywhere like because in the case in hungary we know that there are anglers that moving the prussian carp and causing big troubles in natural Retro 2000 protected areas. So these are the most cases. And sometimes water birds, uh, water bird mediated dispersal can happen and it can be significant. Yeah, that's all. <laughs> all right, awesome. And if um, any of our listeners want to find you, uh, Twitter, Facebook, website, something like that, well, where could we do that at? Um, you have my email, maybe. <laughs> you can send it to everyone. If somebody interested, or I mean, I have Twitter, I have Facebook, Adam Lovashkish, uh, you can find me everywhere, I think. <laughs> awesome. We'll make sure we post your Twitter handle up there uh, when this episode comes out. And um, thank you so much for coming to talk to us today. I really appreciate it. This paper was really interesting. Um, I think it, you know, it kind of validated a little bit of that folklore rumor about birds dispersing fish eggs, which is always nice when science kind of backs up maybe what you already already have feelings about. Um, mm -hmm. uh, that's all that I have. So uh, enjoy, you know, the rest of your evening there. It's morning for me. Um, <laughs> and when your next paper comes out, I'll, I'll, I'll send you an email. Thank <laughs> you so much for the possibility. And uh, thank, thank you for listening or thank you so much. I, I couldn't be happier <laughs> with how that interview came out and the fact that Doc went right to the source with it. So thank you, Doc Martin, for being part of this. This really show is one of the reasons it's great is because we have correspondents like you working on the show. Thank you again to Adam for coming on and helping us understand his uh, poop experiments. Poops, poop experiments, I guess, as we call them. Anyway, let's jump right into the news with Dave Callum, our new news, our new news, our new but old news guy. Here's Dave. News, news, fish in the news. Everybody loves their fish in the It's time news. for fish in the news. Everybody loves the fish news. Hi, Dave. <laughs> Hi, Clay. Get Dave Kellen back with us again. We're so happy to see you. You look beautiful. Ah, oh, thank you. I try. Yeah. I work at it. Yeah, it's all that <laughs> hard work you're doing. It's it paying is. off finally after all these years. Thank you. Thank you. All right, you want to jump in with some news here? Get right into it, or do you want to talk about fishing? I do, I do. And uh, just so listeners know, we never tell each other what, what we're doing, our no, stories. it's totally secret. Yeah, and then so we spring these on each other. Mm -hmm. And uh, so this, this is just like a magic trick, right? Like we, I'm going to set this up. So yeah. you know, <laughs> right. I, I, need a vo I need a volunteer from, from the listening audience. Oh, pick me. Oh, Clay, very good. Yeah, All perfect. right, Clay. Um, so tell everybody what I texted you just before the recording tonight. <laughs> you had me text you a funny word. Exactly. That's yeah. all I said was yep. text me a funny word. Yep. True story. And Clay, we've known each other how long? Maybe 20 years? Uh, God, it's been a long time. I think it's about right. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's about yeah, 20 years. Since the uh, late 90s, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Holy so smokes. definitely... Def I know. So definitely long enough that you're not phased at all by a text that says, text me a funny word. I don't even hesitate. <laughs> I, never, I don't ask why. By the way, you've known me a long time. Even if I just met you, do you think I would ask you why? Like if a stranger no. said, text me a funny word, what do you think I would do? <laughs> I would text him a funny word. I'm in. Dude. I'm always in. 
I've always, always been game in. for anything. I'm always in. Yep. <laughs> That's why I'm exactly. so exactly today. Shit. <laughs> Um, so what word did you send me? Uh, Worcestershire. <laughs> Worcestershire. Yeah, it you qualifies. Sent me Worcestershire. Yeah. It does. Mm-hmm. It definitely qualifies. I don't so know why that popped in my head. It was the first word that popped in my head. Yeah. <laughs> oh, funny word, Worcestershire. I put no thought to it. <laughs> <laughs> so Worcestershire. So what, unbeknownst to Clay, what I was doing was I was looking for a fish, a fish story. And I didn't want to think. So I said, give me a funny word. And then I went into the Google machine, into the news, and I added fish and wish to share. And you found something. I found a ton of stuff. You're actually. kidding. <laughs> <laughs> there is a ton of stuff. Really? Yeah. Well, I think well, I didn't get... the sauce and the location. There's two different things it could be. Exactly. And, and the sauce stuff was very common. Saw lots of that. Mm-hmm. And I didn't read any of the stories, but I suspect there's fish in Worcestershire sauce. I think it's like a fish sauce. Probably. Or you uh, should, I don't know. I don't know. I should probably have checked and, and one could look that, that up if one chose That's to. right. That's right. Yeah. So I'm sure if people are listening, yeah, chime in on Facebook, whatever. Tell us <laughs> if there's fish in Worcestershire sauce. It has to um, I'm sure there is. But... I went with the location. Okay. Okay. So the headline that drew me to it was Worcestershire fish rescue after floods receive recede. Sorry. Okay. Wait, so, Worcestershire fish rescue. Uh-huh. After, after floods recede. Oh, can I just stop you for a second? Yes. All right. The main ingredient that gives most Worcestershire sauce, it's uh, umami flavor is anchovies. Oh, there you go. So there you go. I just Googled it. Thank you. Wow, you're a multitasker. Fer- fermented anchovies. <laughs> who knew? That's one of those things. You wonder who the first person was that went, you know, anchovies went bad. They've been snare a while. Right. They had I a, bet I could make a sauce out of those. They had a jar in their shelf that just turned black, and they were starving because there was no stores back in the day. <laughs> and they opened it up and smelled it and went, ah, maybe. Can I put on a steak? Sure. Yeah. They're starving, but they have steak, you know. So then they put it right. on steak, and it worked out great. Great, wrap it in paper and sell it. <laughs> a good friend of mine uh, always thought the first person that tried a potato was exceptionally uh, brave. I yeah, I, because I, if you're <laughs> yeah, I see that. Yeah, if you're walking along and you see a potato laying on the ground, you're like, oh, that could be poop. <laughs> yeah well i mean like if wild potatoes free-range potatoes i guess they do they could be migrating maybe like why would you find a potato on the ground <laughs> i don't know but why would you be digging for a potato the, the great potato <laughs> migration of 1877 <laughs> i've been walking these prairies for nigh on to 74 years and i never once seen <laughs> a potato migration till this year we saw it and we thought yep i'm gonna eat that thing <laughs> yeah there you go there yeah somebody was very brave to eat the first one but anyway you could make that case about a lot of foods <laughs> that is true yeah anything yes they have a lot of foods um so the story goes that hundreds of fish hundreds uh some up to 30 years old have been trapped on a floodplain in worcestershire england i guess it's in england they don't say but it it's in england right yeah, yeah exactly. either, England or, either England or New England, because nobody else on the planet would sell, spell that word that way. <laughs> New England is so unoriginal, we just stole all of England's names. What do you want to call this place? England. You, know, you can't do that. It's already been done. New England, America. Yeah. <laughs> what town are we in? We're in Worcestershire. Nope. We're in Worcester. Okay, Worcester. Worcester. Fine. Worcester. <laughs> as long as you pronounce it funny, we'll, we'll count that. Yeah. I want to pronounce it in a way where one can never spell it. <laughs> what county you're in? Coas. It's spelled coos. No, yeah. coos. Yeah, exactly. So. <laughs> Look that up, listeners that aren't from New Hampshire. Everyone's from New Hampshire, Dave. Yeah, I know. Fun fact. Anyway, so the story goes, the fish, including bream and carp, are in floodwater on the ham meadows, on ham meadows near the Upton um, border. 
And they basically, they were freaking out because this floodwater happened. And Dave Thorpe said, the water level has dropped very quickly and it's left them stranded against fences and barbed wire. (laughs) (laughs) So there's a bunch of fish. Mm -hmm trapped up against fences and barbed wire and it motivated tons of people. So they, they went out in this 10 acre flooded area and started saving carp and bream by the bucket loads. Uh, What does saving a carp look like? (laughs) Well, they actually, technically these are rescue carp, which, which I think of like a rescue pet. Like, you know, if you want to rescue carp, you have to make arrangements, meet some people on, you know, an interstate pre-approved, you know, you got to get pre-approved. (laughs) <laughs> exactly. They ask you a bunch of questions, yeah. you know, or, you know, what would you do if you can't keep the carp? What right. would you do with it? Well, and they say, okay, you're, we're going to give you a carp. What are you going to spend the next 10 years doing? Bragging about how your carp's a rescue. Yeah. How old is your right. carp? I don't know. He's a rescue. I'm a freaking hero. <laughs> <You know? laughs> exactly. My yeah. self-worth has been improved by yeah. my rescue carp. Mm-hmm. Any, any chance you get, you have to announce that it's a rescue. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, so that's why I think so many people were excited. Yeah. Is, is that, you know, they had that opportunity the to say town. they have a rescue. A whole town. Bragging rights. Bragging rights that, oh, yeah, we have rescue carp. Yep, that's what we have. Yeah. So it's a mutt, my- though. He's a mutt. He's not purebred. Could be a grass carp. No, Could but be they're a- better, you know. Well, they're, they're smarter. They're smarter, of course. They're better genes. And they're more, then they're more healthy. <laughs> yes. Way more healthier. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and yeah. we love him. Yeah, he we well, he, he can't death. train. I mean, he shits on the floor. <laughs> but look how cute! Look at his eyes. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. you know he was in a. Uh, we saved him from a no kill river. Oh uh, yeah, know. and he's afraid of beards. <laughs> Men with beards freak him out. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you could pet him, but he's afraid of you. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. so, something must have happened to him, mm-hmm. to our rescue carp, sometime <laughs> when he was little. Yeah, because we, we think somebody hit him with a hero. newspaper. <laughs> oh my god, damn hero! Oh, did he poop on the floor again? Rub his nose in it. Yeah, he likes that. <laughs> so that's my fish in the news. I like rescue carp. <laughs> rescue. I kind of want one now. <laughs> like, finally, carp has value. <laughs> You know, it's all how it's as soon as you get the uh, you know the hipsters involved. Yeah, some guy with a man bun walking yeah. his carp on a nice day in the park. Oh, it's a rescue! It's a rescue carp. Yeah, you know, I I really like the carp a lot, but uh, what I like best about them is they attract the ladies. <laughs> <laughs> the ladies love the carps. <laughs> yep, yep. Don't that touch my carp! It. it hasn't been trained yet. Cool thing is when you go to Starbucks and you pull up in the drive-thru, they go, oh, would your carp like a, uh, a, a carp latte? A carp, yeah, which like a cookie for your carp? <laughs> or, or the entitled carp owners who carry them in a front pack into Home Depot where it says no, <laughs> no fish allowed. No, no carp. No carp in the store. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or they walk them in little carriages because they're too good to walk them on the ground like a good carp owner does. <laughs> Well, then, and then there's people that take them to the carp park. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then they yell at other carp for trying to make babies with them. Don't spawn with him. Don't spawn. Oh, he spawned with him. Oh, God. He always does that. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry about the spawn of my carp. Oh, 10,000 eggs. Jesus. Jesus. What do I do with these eggs? Anyone got a doggy bag? <laughs> <Carp>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm glad we had this talk, Dave. That yeah, was good. Exactly. <laughs> I didn't see that coming. <laughs> you know, it's the little things. You know, it's it's the little things you never see coming. Yeah, because we're gonna talk <laughs> about the top ten worst fishing lures of all time, and this is visual, even though it's a podcast. Of course, you know, why not? Yeah, but it just made me laugh so much looking at these (laughs) lures and I thought maybe you own some of them. So this is from Outdoor Life and it's titled the top 10 worst lures of all time. First one is called the Heat and Hightail. 
And if to describe it, just try to imagine the Simpsons episode with three-eyed fish, only with two <laughs> eyes. <laughs> it looked like a like, like a cartoon of a whale is what it looks yes. like. But yep, it, yeah, yeah. But I I would fish with that. Oh, of course. And I'm sure some collector. I'm sure that's worth like five thousand bucks. Um, no question about it. It's classic Heaton. It was uh, in the 1960s. Uh, it was a, a tumultuous political and cultural movement, and the heat on hightail. <laughs> in terms of fishing lure oddities, the hightail may well be the weirdest. Combination of wake bait, wake bait, crank bait, and top water, and it looks like a little whale, like I described. So, and I don't know. I've never seen this one before, so it's cute. It is cute. I I, I could see that in a store. That's yeah. fine. And the second one is called the hover lure, and this I've is totally seen this. Have you seen it? Yes. So for those who don't know, imagine a little float with a top stick coming out of it that holds a plastic um, dragonfly over the water. So it's like a puppet. <laughs> Have you yes. used it? I haven't used it, but I've seen similar things. And I, th- I actually think it's kind of brilliant. So basically, you're throwing a leaf because it's shaped like a leaf. It is, yeah. And you're, 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 it's a combo of like the bait and also the structure. So I, I think, you know, a similar thing would be if you chuck a log out there and then, you know, have a little fish attached to it or a worm attached to the actual log. So uh, I actually think that's brilliant. I, I would use it. So far, the yeah. first two I've loved. Mm-hmm. I, I'd be the first one in line to buy them. Now, this next one is called the Joe's Swimming Lure. And <laughs> <laughs> it just looks like an egg with a hook on it. It's red. <laughs> Joe is not creative. No, but I suspect his lure worked. Well, it's because anything will work. Because fish don't care. <laughs> they don't care. Yeah, but it was cute. Um, but I think it was self-propelled. Yes. Oh, well, that, that's huge. Yeah, so this is a little self-propelled ditty. It utilizes an onboard fuel tank to make it swim. You'd add the magic powder and set the bait adrift. And then water would set off a chemical reaction, and the bait would go, hoping sputtering a fish at open mouth. My guess is you're putting like... Um, uh, what do you plop plop fizz fizz? Uh, what do you call this stuff? Uh, uh like baking soda kind baking, of thing, or um, yeah, but like what's that Alka Seltzer? Like, my guess is like Alka Seltzer mix goes in there when it hits the water, it gets fuzzy and it goes. So, well, and and the text I'm reading goes along, it says that the water needs to be slightly acidic. Yes, <laughs> so. well, like it'd be great in New Hampshire then. It, I know with all the acid rain, that's that's yeah. brilliant. I would use it, yeah, sure. Yeah. All right. So the next one. Oh, that's cool looking. It's called the trolling bobber. And this is smart. This is a bobber that has two little torpedoes on the bottom of it with little electric motors on them. And and you just put your bait under it and you hit go and it goes. I'm loving all of these so far. Yeah, that's that's totally good. This is a I have seen on TV classic. And it guarantees more fish. And when you switch it on, the bobber would chug your offering out into the lake. It would work. Yeah, sure. I'm in. Absolutely. All right. So far, I've seen the top. The four so far we looked at have been the best I've seen so far ever. <laughs> I love them. And you should, you should be writing these down because these could be uh, tackle sponsors for you and your guide service. Right. All these companies are out of business might want to sponsor me because <laughs> <laughs> they too can have a hard time catching fish on my leg. <laughs> All right. Here's one called Chuck's, Chuck Woolery's Moto Lure. It's autographed. Oh, nice. Wait, who is Chuck Woolery? Chuck Love Woolery. Connection. Yes, that's Love huge. Connection. All right. So his is his signature lure. Uh, yeah. I know it comes with its own STD. <laughs> <laughs> you you catch the fish slowly with syphilis. <laughs> well, it's not funny, uh, <laughs> but anyway, this uh, was this is basically a, a plug with a hinge on it. So I would catch fish. Yeah, but Chuck Woolery, come on! I'd be in just because of that. But like, my thought is like. If you are the Love Connection host, mm-hmm. his fishing lure looks so generic. Like anyone could have could designed that lure. Right. Like you would expect it to have like heart-shaped or like a phallic, you know, some sort of phallus maybe. 
<laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, don't I, know. I, I, I think it's just cool to have the Chuck Woolery. You need a whole set, like the Richard Dawson. Oh, all the 1970s hosts? Yeah, the lecherous host collection. Oh, they're also creepy. They are. It's so also creepy. creepy. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> when was the last time you and your husband made whoopee? You know, it's... <laughs> exactly. Well, Chuck, let me tell you. We've been married 15 years. And the answer is, we never. We have no kids. <laughs> it never happened. Never happened. Sorry, Chuck, because he fishes all the time. He's in a tournament bass guy. <laughs> <laughs> They're never home. <laughs> never home ever. All right, here's my favorite one, the Prez. And the Prez was made for as a promotional tool for, tool for Jimmy Carter. And it looks like a peanut and a fishing lure. It does. So kind of a classic. And looking at it, it's got a nice big lip in it. Looks like a peanut. Uh, you would catch parrotfish, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's yeah. true. There, there's, there's in the aquarium trade. There's like an elephant nose, like knife fish or something. All right. So there's two, those. two species so far we can name, we can catch with that fish. Well, so, so this is brilliant to have a peanut based lure because yeah. it would, it would stick to the roof of their mouths. <laughs> Perfect. I, <laughs> It's true. It's move true. on. All right. By the way, Bob Eubanks was the guy on the newlywed game that you were trying to imitate. So, well, well I, yeah. Well, I'm I'm not as old as you are. So, <laughs> I was I was little in the '70s, and this is one. The next one is one I've actually seen on TV a lot as a kid. It's called the Mighty Bite, and this came <clears throat> as a whole kit where you would swap out the different plastics and they have lights and all kinds of different things you could add to them. And I remember seeing this ad. Uh, it sounded like a dogfish, uh, like, like a dog food chain, not a fishing lure. But the Mighty Bite has inspired lots of fishing people to spend tons of money uh, trying to catch fish. But another <laughs> classic ass thing on TV. Have you seen that one? I have not seen that one. It just yeah. looks like a regular uh, swim bait with a big chunk out of it. Yeah, but yeah, it does. It's got like a blood spot on it and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it looks like it would catch fish. Well, and I always thought it was ridiculous. You know, when you when you get these lures, they say, oh, you got to tune them just right, you know, and so they swim perfectly straight and all that. Actually, you want a lure that doesn't do that, right? You want something that looks screwed up and injured. Right. Yeah, I always love it. Like, uh, I was fishing the other morning and getting skunked, and I put on a little Clio onto my lure, uh, onto my rod for trolling, and my friend Travis was on the boat, and he says, um, how's it look in the water? And I said, like a piece of metal? <laughs> <laughs> I yep. I can't figure why any fish would bite any spoon going through the water. They look like a piece of metal floating in the water. Like there's no yeah. fish that looks like a bright orange <laughs> oval. <laughs> yeah, flopping around. Yeah, flopping around. Yeah. It looks like a piece of metal. And then, well, we 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 had a hit on it, but never caught any fish. So, yeah, yeah, it didn't work. Uh, here's a good one, and this is called the Heaton Big Bud Lure. Definitely seen that. Yes, I've seen this one too. And this looks like a Budweiser can as a fishing lure. Right. And I bet it worked. Uh, you caught fish with no teeth. Uh. <laughs> can you imagine though, if you could... <laughs> no teeth. <laughs> <laughs> and no sense of taste. Um, exactly. Can you Can you imagine if you could find a bunch of these and then upgrade them to microbrewery? Um, models like you have a brewery up in Conway. you got you probably got like 40 right we have five up here yeah five that's but let's crazy say, we'll use tuckerman's as our most local right yeah there you go so we can get so, tuckerman's uh we call this a head wall alt bug yeah you would have to get all that all that um hipster kind of stuff in there about what mm -hmm. it is you know yeah. it's a slow and and you can't call it microbrew because that shows your age oh no yeah. it's got to be a craft beer Oh, a craft beer cask. Is that a thing? Oh, the cask ale? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The cask is very specific. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So, yeah, you could definitely uh, modernize these a little bit <coughs> and then still not sell any. Sure. <laughs> just you can give them away. That's all. But, you know, if you can go back in time though, and collect, like, if you just, like, put all these lures in a time capsule, you could retire on what these, the value of these things are. I bet these are all highly collectible. Oh, and I've always heard that the most collectible things are the things that people throw away. 
Like it's the things that people have like zero value for. So, you know, just the, the, the collectible kind of eight track tape stuff and all that super collectible stuff that people just chucked. That's the stuff that people want. Right. Because if like, like beanie babies is never going to be worth anything. Right. Because people are collecting Mm -hmm. them while they are brand new. So they bought them with the intent of collecting them. Well, if they're being sold with the intent of being collectible, that means that no one's getting rid of them and there's no value to them. So this one, yeah. um, this next one is, is number two is Alex Langer's flying lure. And it just looks like a, uh, like a tube jig that been run over by a truck. So a very flat, boring tube jig. So, so I have a tackle box full of these things. Same, same brand. Say, I don't know if about that. I think there was only one flying lure and, and he had a, a show and it says QVC and infomercials. So yeah, mm-hmm. it was definitely a show and it must've been in the early nineties. Um, cause <clears throat> a fishing partner and I, when we were in college, uh, were totally obsessed with the, the flying lure and, uh, it's an amazing lure. I actually take, um, I, I disagree with this article because, oh. It was a fabulous lure. And the, the most amazing thing about it, see where the line, it's like a reverse lure. Oh, the line goes inside. Oh. It goes backwards. Yeah. So what happens is you toss it, and then if you give it a bunch of line, it will actually swim into the structure. Oh. So it hydro, it like, you know, planes, it just kind of swims itself. It like flies into, and mm-hmm. it, it's terrible because you lose tons of lures because, right. you know swims right into the, the stuff, but it's an amazing lure. totally works. Right. Well, and they say that the rod finesse involved with trying to control a, a bait that swims backwards uh, makes it very hard to use. Yes, it was extremely hard to use, but my friend just swore by him, and he, he caught tons of great fish. So, yeah, they're, that, that's legit. Well, so far, they've all been <laughs> legit. <laughs> all right, and the number one, Worst lure of all time. It's called the laser lure, and it just looks like a, a regular Big Bill swim bait, you know, like a big beak on the front of there. And the marketing picture this one is a flashing water-activated light implanted in the lure's bill would trigger bass to strike. And they spent a ton of money marketing this and had bass pros talking it up, and it disappeared in 2012. So it just disappeared. It's gone. <laughs> just poof. Poof. Magic happened. Now, I've, I've, have you ever fished any lures that light up? Uh, yeah, I have. have. Have they worked for you? Um, no, kind of, kind of glitchy, but um, no, I've, I've, I've used those before. And you always have that image of like night fishing and, and all that. Yeah. yeah, I've used them, but I can't tell if they're better than not using them. You know, like I've, I, w- I was jigging for Cusk one night uh, on Silver Lake in the, through the ice with a light up jig. It flashed red and I mm-hmm. caught a Cusk on it. It's the only cusk I've caught jigging in that lake in eight years. I, I, didn't, I have not been able to catch any fish again with that lure, but I can't tell if it was a lure or if I just got really lucky that night. Yeah, I know. There's no way to tell. And that's why the, that's the basis of fi- the fishing industry right there. Right, yeah. That nobody really knows how any of it works. Yeah, you know why? <laughs> why? It all works. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I, I did want to say one of my favorite lures that I have is I, I don't know its brand, but it's a big popper lure, mm-hmm. like a big topwater popper and it's hollow mm-hmm. and inside is a stretched spring. I can Ooh. only assume it's a stretched spring. And when you, when you cast it, it hits the water. It just vibrates. Oh, it just sits there and vibrates like, in the water. It's so cool. I've never caught a fish on it, but I no. always thought it was brilliant. No, I've got a whole pile of lures in my tackle box who have not earned their keep. Oh, and, I, no. and I can't tell if it's because I didn't use them long enough <laughs> or if they don't work. Because, you know, like I buy a new lure and I'm like, my old stuff always works. I'm going to throw the new lure for a few minutes then I'm going to give up and go to what catches fish for me. <laughs> Yeah, it's all in the confidence, right? Yeah. It's all what you have confidence in. So I think the next bad lure you and I should create. Oh. What would it so be like? let's let's do let's do a quick pitch. I think we should we should partner with one of those inflatable life vest companies. Oh, I'm liking it so far. 
And so it's a lure that takes one of those CO2 cartridges. So you it cast it big. around and went big. Well, no, yeah. I mean, you know, those CO2 cartridges or whatever. Sure, big. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, let's say, and it's trolling. So you're down deep catching uh-huh. salmon or something. And when a fish hits, it goes boom and blows up this balloon and it floats to the top. Ah, you, you don't need to reel it in. Just net it out of the water. You can, also, the water, yeah. you can get rid of the fish hooks entirely. It just gets in the fish's mouth. He's like, oh, and his mouth fills up and he floats to the top. Now you've caught and released a fish without ever hurting it. This is perfect for the vegan. Like, <laughs> that is. Or you could put it on a time delay uh-huh. and, and then set out a bunch of them, like mm-hmm. 50, mm-hmm. and then come back next week. At the time when they all blow up. And, and all of a sudden, these fish are just floating to the top like it's 10 a.m. on Saturday morning. Get the nets out, boys. It's time to go catching. All these salmon are just floating around, belly up. I'm Perfect. In. I'm in. Yeah. All right. Well, that's fish what, in the news. What, what idea? No, no, oh. that was my idea. What, what's your idea? Oh, I was going to steal yours. <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm I'm a big fan of of the idea of like adding more expensive electronics to the fish, and so I would be more inclined to go with the drone model of fishing lure. So you have a you have like a remote drone, and now here's a challenge. This is the for fishers listeners is Wi-Fi and cell signals don't travel underwater, right? Neither does Bluetooth. But I don't want to be. Well, wired. I'm gonna. I'm, I'm- go ahead. I'm sorry to interrupt you. I really am. But I, I was aware of that. And I think last week I heard a story where they figured it out. Awesome. And, and when I heard that, I actually honestly thought of you and I went, oh my God, we talked about this. It's going to revolutionize fishing. It's going to change so, everything. And here's how it's going to do it. We're going to have fishing drones, that have like little robot fish. And we're going to be able to look on, like they'll have cameras in them. And we'll be able to drive them down deep in a lake see what's happening, and hassle big fish until they bite. And then once they bite, combine that with your inflatable technology. So you got this yep. drone that's not – because if, they, if, they, if the big fish swallows this bait, you won't get it back. <laughs> so <laughs> they have to inflate once the fish eats it, and they pop up to the top of the wall. Yeah. Yeah. But that, but that works perfect because if your battery dies, you know, blows it up and, you, yeah. you, and it floats to the top. Yeah. And it's going to so, revolutionize yeah, perfect the, right the two-chamber sellers uh, of the world. So finally, those guys will make a good living on CO2 cartridges. Because what else are you using for? BB guns? Like, what? I, <laughs> like, I've been making these BB things guns. for years. No one's buying BB guns anymore. <laughs> Why do I have a CO2 cartridge? What am I going to do with this thing? Fishing. Well, the seltzer making companies have like the big cartridges. They're huge, though. But I guess if you're fishing for you know large fish, yeah, yeah, they're like yeah. thirty bucks a piece. Those I know, but that you can easily spend that on lures, right? Doesn't that blow you away when you see people buying like thirty, forty, fifty dollar lures? So I have a I have a uh, a digital camera, underwater camera that's made to be casted. Or trolls, so you can take videos of the fish. It, it's worth like 200 bucks. There's no scenario where I'm tying that on a string and throwing it in a lake or dragging it behind my boat on a string. I, don't, I can't do it. I can't imagine doing that. You, you know you would chuck it in a tree, like the first cast. Or, yeah, or you'd forget to open your uh, bale on your rod, the first cast, and it would go pink. I just fly Pink. out. Because <laughs> like, I've lost $8 yep. lures doing that, and it breaks my heart. And <sighs> so, yeah, no thank you. I'm out. Yeah, but, you know, people spend, I, you know, I'm, I'm trying to find those. I know there's a custom bait maker in uh, near me, like, uh, I don't know, and his baits are, it's like 100 bucks each, and they're, yeah. they're like these big, giant crankbaits. Yeah, no thank you. I'm out. But yeah. good, good on them for making money selling big giant crankbaits for a hundred bucks. I'm out. <laughs> yeah, it's incredible. Right. Anyway, wow, that's fish in the news. Thanks, Dave. News, news, fish in the news. Everybody loves their fish in the news. All 
right. And that's the whole show. We're done. If you love this show, one of the ways you can help us keep it going is by financially supporting the show. We have a Patreon, which go to patreon.com slash fish nerds. We're hoping that people give us, you know, five bucks a month to help keep this show floating. Uh, it's expensive to run a podcast, especially expensive to run a, a good podcast. And we like to think that our show is good. And we hope that if you stay with us to the end here, you agree that it's a good show. Uh, we'll be back again in a couple more weeks. I have so much content this summer. I was supposed to take the summer off, but uh, my correspondence uh, and I keep putting, keep finding new stories to tell. And so we have a lot of stuff coming up. John King has submitted a few pieces. We've got stuff coming up in August from Tim Beat uh, and more. So coming right up. I'm talking to Hugo. I'm trying to get him back to making some new fish cooking stories for us. Because we haven't cooked a fish on this show in quite a long time. So stay with us for that. Make sure you're subscribed so you get these when they come out. And that's it. You've listened to a whole bunch of fish nerds when you should have been fishing. Big fat thank you to Doc Martin and Dave Kellum for being correspondents here on the podcast. Huger thanks to Adam Lovis Kiss for taking the time to talk to Doc. It's always fun to get source information like that. Big fat thank you to Wally Pleasant and Diana's Bath Salts for our theme musics on this week's show. And until next time... Follow the code of the fish nerd, spawn early and often, never trust a free lunch with strings attached, and swim against the current every chance you get. Thanks for listening. Whether you're fly fishing in a stream, getting those ankles wet, or deep in the ocean casting nets, fish nerds, fish nerds, fish nerds, it's a podcast. Just for the halibut! Fried in a basket or broiled in a pan. Eat it raw like you're in Siam. Fish nerds. Fish nerds. Fish nerds. It's a podcast.